You're listening to Haggai, a sermon series about obedience. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. See ya. High five your neighbor and tell them good job. Yeah, yeah. Tell them good job. You made it through another week. Hey, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews, one of the pastors here, and I am so glad that you are joining us today. And the message that we're uh, going to have today really is for anybody here who might be discouraged. The message really is for anybody who uh, things might not be working out in life the way that you had hoped or the way that you thought they were. If, if that's you, I really do hope that the message today speaks to you in a very special way. And we're in a series on the book of Haggai. If you were here last week, you, you remember that. Uh, but it's such a short book in the Bible. We said just two chapters. It's so short that if you're Flipping through the pages of the Bible real quick, you'll actually flip right over it, and so you got to be careful. But in this short book, there really are some great messages that God would have for us, really, when it comes to deal with obedience. And last week, if you remember, we started out the whole thing by talking about a guy by the name of King Solomon, how King Solomon was the wisest man who has ever lived. King Solomon, he was the wealthiest man who has ever lived. And during the fourth year of his reign, he began construction on the temple for God, on a temple for God. And this temple was so amazing. It was so wonderful. It was so magnificent that people from all over the world came uh, just to look at this thing. But after King Solomon died, the people got distracted, just like you and I often do. Uh, They got distracted, and they turned from really worshiping God, and they began to worship idols. And so God allows a series of events to happen uh, in an effort really to draw his people's attention back on him. In 587 B.C., uh, the Babylonians, under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, they come in and they basically, uh, they just destroy the city. Not only do they destroy the city, but they destroy this magnificent temple that Solomon had built, and they do it basically to insult the people of Israel. Basically what they are saying is, hey, you know what? Your God no longer lives here. Your God has abandoned you. Your God has let you down. And so then they carry the people off into captivity, and that's where they stay for 50 years. And so for 50 years, they long for freedom. For 50 years, they said, you know what, if we get another chance, we're going to do things differently. If we get another chance, we're going to put God first. If we get another chance, we're going to rebuild his temple. We're going to be about his business. And so after 50 years, 50,000 Jews are allowed to return to Judah, and they're allowed to rebuild the city. And their first priority is that they're going to rebuild the temple of God. And so they start rebuilding the temple of God, and they're met with a little bit of resistance, and so they quit. They quit. And so for 14 years, for 14 years, the, the temple construction is, is put at a halt. For 14 years, God's work is, is not done. And so God raises up the prophet Haggai to tell the people, look, you need to get to work. You need to be about my business. Because those 14 years that they weren't working on God's house, they were working on their house. For those 14 years that they weren't doing God's business, they were doing their business. And so Haggai is there to tell the people, look, don't just think about yourself. You've got to think about God's. You've got to be about God's business. You've got to put him 
first. So that's the background to the book of Haggai. And as we start this morning, I wonder if there's anybody here who has ever had something happen in your life where, you know, you just got stirred up about something. You know what I mean? You got kind of riled up about something. I remember when I was a kid, man, uh, kids, they, they sometimes used to fight, and I know they still do because they put that mess all over Facebook. You know what I mean? But I remember when I was a kid, sometimes sometimes people would, they would get into fights. Kids would get into fights, and whenever there was going to be a fight, a whole crowd of people would run over to where the fight was going to be, and they'd start chanting, fight, fight, fight. Anybody, was that, were you ever doing that? You ever doing that? Yeah. So that's what they would chant. And so a lot of times, nothing ever happened. A lot of times, nothing ever happens. You know, they, the, the two people who are about to fight, uh, they might get real close to each other, and they, they'd be bowing up. I dare you to hit me. I dare, anybody know what I'm talking about? I, dare, you won't, I bet you won't hit me. You ain't going to hit me. And then they, they just kind of sometimes they'd be walking around in a circle, you know what I mean, shoulder to shoulder. And everybody would be like, fight, fight, fight. And nothing, nothing a lot of times would ever happen until somebody said something about somebody's mama. Right? You talk about mama, man, you're going to get stirred up. People might say, man, your mama's so ugly, she made an onion cry. And they'd be like, what'd you say about my mama? I know you ain't saying nothing about my mama. And then they would just tie up, you know what I mean? And so, like, when you're older, when you become a parent, you know, people can talk about you all they want, right? But you better not say nothing about my kids. You might know what I'm talking about. You get stirred up about that. Again, there are times in our life where things happen, and we do. We get, we get stirred up. It happens. Well, did you know that there are times when God stirs up his people? There are times when God stirs us up to the point that they have to do something. That's what happens in the book of Haggai. And I want you to see it if you've got your Bible. Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 13, here's what the Bible says. It says, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. And I want you to remember that phrase, I am with you, declares the Lord. That's very important. We're actually going to come back to that in just a little while. But God says, I am with you. Verse 14 says, so the Lord stirred. What did he do? He stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. God stirred up his people. He stirred up their spirit. He gave them hope to accomplish what it was that God had put in their heart to do. God gave them hope, you know what, and faith to believe that they could actually do what it was that God was calling them to do. God stirs up their spirit and this type of thing still happens today. There, there may be a time in your life where your spirit will get stirred and you'll say, hey, you know what? God has shown me that I need to do this and you'll get excited about it. You'll do everything you can to get this done because this is what God wants you to do. You'll have to get out of your seat and onto your feet and out to the street to do what it is, again, that God has very clearly told you to do. He will stir your spirit. And so God stirs the spirit of the people to be about his business. He stirs the spirit of the people to rebuild the temple. And watch what he goes on to say in verse 14. The Bible says this, they came and began the work on the Lord's house, on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. So the people again, they, hey, you know what? We can do this. We're going to build God an amazing temple. It's going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. We've got to do something. We've got to get to work. So they get to work, and after one month, do you know what happens? 
They quit. They quit again. They quit again. One month passes, and they think, man, we can't do this. One month passes, and they think this is incredibly too hard. One month passes, and they are not happy with the progress they are making. They think we should be further along. Is this all there is? This is pathetic. This is not good enough. All of a sudden, everybody is discouraged. They're embarrassed, and they quit one month in. Well, let's just be honest. How many of you would just admit that that type of thing happens in your life occasionally where you just want to quit. I remember years ago, uh, I really got into deer hunting. Somebody here at the church got me excited about deer hunting, and I said, you know what? If you only hunt during rifle season, you know, you're not really able to kill as many deer. So I wanted to hunt in primitive weapon season, you know what I mean? So that I would have longer time to try to kill a deer. And so I decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to get me a 4570. I'm going to get me a 4570 so that I can hunt during primitive weapon season. And so I said, I'm going to hunt more. I bought more camouflage. I bought me a, a ground blind. I set up trail cam. I mean, I was like, man, I'm going to do this. I'm going to hunt more. I'm all excited. I'm stirred up. I'm riled up. It's going on. And so before the the season started, I said, you know what, it'd probably be a good idea if I sight in this gun, if I sight in this 4570. And so I said, all right, I'm going to do that. And so I was at one of the church members' houses here. Actually, he's one of our church members. And so uh, we go to their house to sight in the gun. They don't have a table for me to set up on. They don't have a table for me to set up on, but what they do have is an aluminum ladder. And so in my mind, I'm like, man, this would be great. All I got to do is get that aluminum ladder, set it up, weave the gun through the aluminum ladder, you know what I mean, get steady, and just, you know, sight my gun in. So uh, that's what I do. I put the gun through the ladder. Uh, but when I do that, I'm not really able to hold on to the gun the way that I probably should, especially if it's a 4570, because I don't know if you know anything about a 4570, but a 4570 really is, if it's loaded properly, it's it's capable of killing uh, what's known as the African Big Five. What that means is it's capable of killing an African lion. It can kill a buffalo. It can kill a leopard. It can kill an elephant. It can even kill a rhinoceros. Uh, so you don't want to be on the receiving end of a 4570. You might know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Some of y'all are like what a gun. You don't want to be on the receiving end. I just promise you. So I'm like, all right, here I am. I got my gun. This 4570 weaved through this this ladder. You know what I mean? And I'm I'm trying to find the target. And I line up the crosshairs. You know, from the scope with the target, and I pull the trigger, and boom! And when I did that, man, blood and guts and nastiness went everywhere, man. I busted my head open. I got a picture for y'all to see so y'all know this is true, man. I had to get stitches. I dressed up like Harry Potter for, for, uh, for Halloween that year, you know what I'm saying? But, man, it was rough. Man, guts really didn't go everywhere, but it really was blood and nastiness, but it makes the story sound better. But anyway, so, so I mean, you know what I mean? What did I do after that? After that, you know what I did? I sold my 4570, man. I, I quit. I ain't got a hunt during primitive weapon season. You know what I'm saying? But that's what happens to us all so often. We quit. We say, I'm going to do this, man. We get excited about it, man. And then we quit. Just like exercise, right? People at the beginning of the year, what do they say? I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to get ripped. I'm going to join the gym. So you join the gym, right? And you get on that treadmill and you're like, man, I'm running. I'm running. Man, this is too hard. I quit. Give me some donuts. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Is it just me? I like donuts and chicken wings, man. That's where I am. But we do this type of thing all the time in life. And we do this type of thing all the time when it comes to the things of God. We really do. We say things like, I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray 
more. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to come to church. I'm, I'm going to witness. We're going to do it. But then what happens? We quit. We quit. The people thought, we can build this temple. We've got this. We can do it. We're going to do this for God. And they work for one month. One month. And then they quit. One month, things don't go the way they expected. And they quit. And so God has Haggai come to the people because they're so discouraged. He has, he has Haggai come to the people to ask them questions, to really expose the root of their discouragement. And I really want you to, to see it today because you may, be, you may be discouraged because of one of these reasons that these verses point out. In Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 3, the Bible says this, God says, Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing? So in those verses right there, I believe it exposes two reasons for discouragement that you and I often have. And the first one, if you're keeping notes, you want to write them down. Two causes for discouragement is this. Number one, comparison. Comparison. See, these people were doing exactly what we often do. They were comparing their start with someone else's finish. Did you hear that? They were comparing their start with someone else's finish. They thought, man, we just got started, but ours doesn't look anything like what theirs looks like. Ours doesn't look very good. Their finish looks so much better. Biblical scholars believe that at this point, Haggai was probably in his 70s. What that means is, is that if they were in captivity for 50 years, 50 years prior, Haggai would have been a teenager. So Haggai would have remembered what the former temple looked like. Perhaps there were other people who remembered what the formal, former temple looked like. And they're looking at what their temple looks like now, and they think, man, this is ugly. This is not good enough. We don't measure up. There is this comparison that is going on. And I don't know about you guys, but I get incredibly discouraged sometimes when I look at the way things go in my life versus the way they go in somebody else's life. Anybody else, you like that? You look at somebody else and you're like, man, they've got, they got such a nice house and I can barely afford groceries. You say, man, they got such a, such a nice car and my car barely runs. Their kids are so smart and my kids are just smarties. You know what I'm saying? You know, and so we think, man, we think, man, why are people liking their Facebook picture and their Instagram picture when my Facebook picture and Instagram picture looks so much better than theirs? You know what I mean? Man, these people just have so much money. They always get to, to go out to eat, man. And when I go to KFC, I have to ask if I can lick other people's fingers because I can't afford my own chicken, man. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You get depressed. You get discouraged when you look at the way other people are living and you start to compare your life to their life, it happens. We get incredibly discouraged. And that's what the people did in the book of Haggai. They thought our pathetic attempt to build a temple for God is nothing compared to what those people were able to do for God. They were better. We're not. Theirs was better. Ours is not. We feel so discouraged. I'm telling you, in life, when you start comparing things that are happening in your life to where other people are and what's happening in their life, you'll get incredibly discouraged. The second reason, the second cause that I believe that these verses point out, reasons for discouragement, is not only comparison, but a lack of progress. A lack 
of progress. Think about these people. Think about what's happening. They thought, man, one month, things aren't going very well. We're trying so hard, but we're not really getting anywhere. Isn't that how we feel sometimes? We get discouraged because of a lack of progress. Isn't that how we feel? Maybe your marriage right now isn't what it should be. Maybe it's not what it should be. And so you've been trying so hard and trying so hard and trying so hard, trying so hard, and you try so hard for one day, and things don't work out the way that you thought they would, and you get discouraged. Listen, if you messed up your marriage for years and years and years and years and years, it's going to take more than a day to fix it, okay? It's going to take more than a day to fix it. But we think, man, I'm giving this marriage the best, and there doesn't seem to be any kind of response back. It's a lack of progress, and we get discouraged. Maybe your kids, man, you're always trying to give them biblical advice. You're trying to help them, equip them to make the best choices, to make decisions that are going to help them in life, but they keep making poor choices, and you're thinking, man, why in the world are you continuing to do this? That lack of progress, again, it, it, it makes us discouraged. It makes us discouraged. It happens to you. It happens to all of us. It happens to me. See, I'm just going to be honest with you this morning, and I'm not telling you this because I'm trying to get any kind of response from you. I'm not trying to tell you to, hey, send me a letter or an email or something like that. I, I don't want you to do any of that, but I just want to be honest with you, and I just want to be real with you because that's how the gospel changes us. Amen? But I live with constant low-grade discouragement. I really do. Sometimes it's middle grade, sometimes it's high grade, but it's constant discouragement. First off, I'm discouraged about my sinfulness. I'm, I'm a follower of Christ, and I'm a pastor, yet there are times in my life where I really mess up, and it, it pains my heart. It discourages me. It makes me sick. I get discouraged after I preach because all day, all day, I can't shut my mind off. I think, you know what, I should have said this, I could have said this, could have done this better. Sometimes I just feel like I don't communicate well. Sometimes I feel like I just didn't deliver the message that I was trying to. I never feel like I did good enough. I just feel also this sense of divine responsibility for each and every one of you. See, Jesus is the good shepherd, amen? But under him is this metaphor that I am a shepherd of this flock. I'm a shepherd of this flock, and so my job is to help the sheep follow Jesus faithfully, and sometimes I just don't feel like it's working. I don't. I try to encourage people, again, to have healthy marriages, but it's just divorce after divorce after divorce, and it's discouraging. I try to, I try to encourage people to be who it is that God wants them to be, and sometimes it just, it just doesn't happen. I, I try to encourage people that they are loved, that they are valued, that they are needed, and sometimes it's just no response. No response. I try to help people sometimes through difficult situations, and it's not good enough. Sometimes I work hard on messages because I want to keep your attention. You know what I mean? I don't want you up here falling asleep on me. I want God's Word to be alive. I want to keep it Christ-centered. But sometimes I preach and I work hard on those messages and I look out and people are playing on their phones or they're sleeping or something else or talking to somebody else. Again, I, I just sometimes, sometimes I get discouraged. I get discouraged sometimes because our church just doesn't deliver. Really, sometimes there are people who say, well, this church, your church hurt my feelings. Your church did this. Man, again, it hurts. It discourages me. And so with all that stuff, I live with this constant discouragement. Robert, why are you 
Why are you telling me this? Because I just want you to see that we're all on the same playing field. It's a level playing field. And also so that you can feel discouraged with me. Amen? I'm just kidding. Uh, But again, but again, we all live there. I'm not trying to whine. I'm not trying to complain. I just want you to know discouragement happens to each and every one of us. So what do you do when you're down? What do you do when you're discouraged? For whatever reason, if it's because you're comparing things in your life or if it's because you're just seeing a lack of progress, what do you do when you are discouraged? Well, God gives his people some instructions and they're simple instructions. And I love that about God. I love that he's not trying to make things complicated. He wants things to be simple because have you ever had someone tell you something, how to do something, and you're listening to them, you're focusing on them, but when they're telling you what to do, you're going, man, what you talking about, Willis? I don't understand that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever been there? And so God, God doesn't do that, man. I remember several years ago, I bought a playset, well, a fort, that's what you call it, a fort for my kids uh, from Walmart. So I went to Walmart, and I picked up all the equipment, and so when I opened up all the boxes, there were 14,206,343 items in there, okay? And so I'm looking at this thing, and I'm just overwhelmed. The people in the instruction manual, they're smiling as they're putting this thing together, and it says weekend project, weekend project. I'm like, man, I got a screwdriver, I got a hammer, but I'm just going to be honest with you, I didn't smile one time putting that thing together. I didn't. And the instructions were in English. I speak English. I didn't understand anything this thing was saying. It was difficult. It took me 10 months to put that weekend project together. They were complicated. Well, God does not give us complicated instructions. He doesn't. He doesn't. Remember last week when he's telling the people, go and build the temple? Three simple steps. What were they? Go up into the mountains, bring down the temple, build the temple. Build the temple. That's the simple steps. Well, in here, in these verses, I'm to see, again, he's got some simple steps for them when they're discouraged. They're down. Look at what he says. Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 4. God says this. Now be strong. Everybody say, be strong. Be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jezedek, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Do you see the two steps that God has for us when we are discouraged? God says, be strong, and then he says, do the work. Be strong and do the work. What do you do when you're discouraged? You be strong and you do the work. You be strong and you do the work. And the great news is you don't have to be strong in and of your own power. The New Testament teaches us that, hey, you know what? There's a supernatural thing, spirit living inside of us. The same, the same power, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living inside of those who believe in God. And so God's word tells us, don't be discouraged, be strong, but it doesn't end there. Did you notice that the Bible doesn't say, hey, be strong and talk the talk. It doesn't say, hey, be strong and dream the dream. It doesn't say, be strong and compare your life to other people's life. 
It doesn't say be strong and think about your lack of progress. He says be strong and do the work. Again, what do you do when you're discouraged? You be strong and you do the work. You be strong and you put down the next stone and the next stone and the next stone. You do exactly what it is that God has commanded you to do. The people rebuilding this temple, they must have thought, man, this one stone is not going to make a difference. This one stone really isn't that important. But God's saying, hey, Keep working. Be strong and keep working. Put down another stone. Put down another stone. Put down another stone. You consistently do what it is that God has commanded you to do. See, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy. It's easy to think about quitting. It's it's easy to say, you know what, I'm not seeing much progress. It's easy. It's easy. It's easy to want to quit. It's easy. You say, you know what? Things just aren't happening the way that I want them to. Well, you keep praying. You keep seeking God. You keep reading your Bible. You keep loving that person who doesn't seem to be responding to you. You keep witnessing to that person who doesn't seem to be responding to you. You keep working. You keep working. You keep working. You keep working. You keep trying to raise your kids according to God's words. You keep working. You keep working. You be strong and do the work. You be strong and never give up. That's exactly what I do. When I live consistently again with this this discouragement. I contend the strength of God. And I say, hey, you know what? I'm going to show up every single week. I'm going to seek God on your behalf, on my behalf. Every single week, I'm going to pray. I'm going to study. Every single week, I'm coming to church and I'm preaching Christ risen and coming again. I'm preaching that Jesus is the answer for the world's problems. He's the answer for your problems. He's the answer for my problems. Jesus is who we need. I'm going to keep preaching Jesus stone after stone after stone after stone. And I can't help but think that there's somebody here and you're looking at your life and you're just not, you're discouraged because of the lack of progress. You're discouraged because you keep comparing your life to someone else. You've got to keep working. Put down the next stone, put down the next stone, put down the next stone. Just keep doing what it is that God has called you to do. Be strong and do the work. That's what God says do. That's what he says. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says something very interesting. It says this, it says, Let us not become weary in doing good. Don't become tired in doing the work. Don't become tired. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if what? If we do not give up. If we do not give up. Be strong and do the work. Be strong and do the work. Now why? Why does God tell us to be strong and do the work? Why can we be competent and be strong and do the work? Why? Why? Why does God tell the people who are rebuilding the temple to be strong and do the work? You've got to see this. In Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 4, the Bible says this, But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. Why? For I am with you, declares the Lord. God says, be strong and do the work because I am with you. And that's the key to it all. That's the key to it all. It's not in your own strength 
that you and I are working because it's in our weakness that his strength is made perfect. See, what God is about to show the people in Haggai is the greatest news since the beginning of the world. He's about to show them something that completely changes everything. Look at what he says about the temple in verse 9. Haggai chapter 2, verse 9. Here's what he says. God says, The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. See, the people hearing this had to have thought, man, God's mistaken here. What's he talking about? Because they knew their temple wasn't going to have gold all over it. They knew their temple wasn't going to look as nice as the temple during Solomon. Solomon's time. So, so was God lying? What was God saying? What is he saying? Well, the people in the book of Haggai had no idea that God was foreshadowing something about his something about the New Testament, something about his great love for us. See, throughout all the Old Testament, people had to go to the temple to make sacrifices for God. Please don't miss this. This is crazy. In the Old Testament, people had to go to the, to the temple to make sacrifices to God so that they could be made right with God. They had to go to the temple to experience the presence of God. But in the New Testament, God says something completely different. He says, now those who are followers of Christ, you are an actual temple. You are an actual temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is where God dwells. This is mind-blowing. Because again, everyone thought you had to go to the temple to experience God. But now, God comes to us. God comes to us. God comes to the people. He comes to earth and God makes a sacrifice for us. God makes a sacrifice for us. And he says that if you're a follower of my son, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. This temple is greater than the former temple because Jesus is the greater glory. I don't think y'all are understanding what I'm saying right here, man. This changes everything. See, now you don't have to be strong in and of yourself and do the work on your own. You actually do it because God is with you. Not only is God with you, but God is inside of you. And greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but one of power. You and I can do exactly what it is that God has called us to do, Because he's not just with us, he's in us. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is the greater glory and he dwells in you. See, I'm wrapping up. But every time you put a stone down in the name of Jesus... You bring glory to Christ. Every time you forgive someone who's wronged you, you bring glory to Christ. Every time you serve someone, you bring glory to Christ. When we lift up the name of Jesus Christ, we bring glory to Christ. And we shouldn't be discouraged, even though we are. 
But we shouldn't be discouraged because we're not alone. We don't have to go to a temple to experience the presence of God. If we follow Christ, he dwells in us. Again, he came to this earth to make a sacrifice for us so that we could be made right with him so we don't quit. We don't quit because we know he who began a good work in us is faithful to bring it to completion. We're not going to become weary in doing good because we know that in the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not quit. So if you're discouraged today, remember that God is with you. God dwells in you. And you can do everything it is that he's calling you to do. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual walk, but I wonder today, if there's somebody here that would just admit, you know what, I am discouraged. Life's not working out the way that I wanted it to. Life's not working out the way that I thought. I'm discouraged. If that's you, just right where you are, I just want, to, want you to lift your hand because I want to pray for you. A lot of hands. It's easy to get discouraged. Life sometimes gets us down. Father, I pray for these who have raised their hands, indicating that they're discouraged right now. Father, I pray that you would restore joy to them, that you would restore hope to them, Father, that you would give them faith to keep on going. Stir up their hearts right now, Father. Help them to realize that you dwell in them, that you love them, Father, that they can do again what it is that you've called them to do. As we keep praying, I also wonder today if there's somebody who just really hasn't been been about God's work. You've not been about God's business. Well, listen, you really can't be about God's work until you accept the work that Christ did for you. And so if you're here today and you know that you're not saved, you know that you need to accept what Christ has done for you. I'm going to ask it right where you are. You lift your hand because you know that you need to give him your life. You need to be saved today. Amen. If that's you, I'm just going to ask that you pray right where you are. Father, forgive me for my sins. Today I accept you. I accept the word that you have completely paid for my sins. Father, you you have made an unbelievable sacrifice so that I can be made right with you. Cover me, Father, with your love. Father, today I confess you as Lord. I confess you as Savior. Thank you for saving me. Now change me into the person that you want me to be because your Holy Spirit dwells in me. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. We'd like to thank you for listening and encourage you to visit our website at www.elevatechurch.ms. 
so you can learn more about being blessed and blessing others at Elevate Church.